Namaskar and welcome to NFL Masala. I'm your co-host Anant. And I'm your other co-host Rakshak. Welcome to Season 2, Episode 24 of NFL Masala, where we talk about all the latest happenings in the NFL with a little bit of spice. So today we are going to recap Week 10, an historic Week 10, where there were six games that were decided by a game-ending field goal. Never before has that happened in the 120-year history of the NFL in a single week, and then preview week 11 after some Dhamakadar news. So first, let's get started with that Dhamakadar news. Um, starting with, you know, Monday Night Football news. Oh, that ge- that Monday Night Football. Mm-hmm. That one and only Monday Night Football game between the Broncos and the Bills, in which after the loss, sp- uh, surprise, surprise, by the Bills, uh, they fire their offensive coordinator, Ken Dorsey, and has named Joe Brady the interim replacement. And this is because the Bills are now 5-5, five and five, and they have deemed that, you know, they need to find consistent production, uh, especially in the run game. And, you know, this was all Ken Dorsey's fault. Um, and so now... That it's it's very interesting to see what what really happens here because Joe Brady was also fired from the Panthers for not running the football enough, and now Ken Dorsey's fired from the uh, Bills for not running the football enough. So let's see, let's see. What do you think about this? Hmm. I mean, I kind of expected Ken Dorsey to be one of the first names to go away, but I didn't realize it would take him that long. That he should have been fired when the Bills had that started. Um, initially had their losing streak, um, and there, and of course the inconsistencies, inconsistencies in that run game. Um, it's just gross, bro. That's all I'm gonna say. But and, they're um, one of the most explosive offenses in the league. There, it's good to be explosive, but I know. But they, but then again, if you're not, you, I mean. Of course, like the league is evolving as a passing game. As a, it's going to be, it's already evolved as a passing game. But when it matters the most, you need to run the ball and trust that offensive line. It helped Josh Allen um, to not go full, not to go super Josh Allen, which is you win some, you lose some. That's all I'm going to say. That's just my take. You have to run the ball. That's fair. Alrighty. Yes. Um, and also some breaking some also breaking the Makedar news. Um the with today on November 14th, after with um and according to ESPN writer Rich Simony and and also from the favorite man himself, Adam Schefter. Um, the New York Jets held a players only meeting today, and is in a surprising move. Um, they held they, they waived running back Michael Carter. Jets have lost two straight games without scoring a touchdown. And um, I mean, they had to gather on their scheduled day off, which I think it's some good um, initiative. And of course, like Garrett Wilson was one of the people that led the, that led the meetings. Like the guys talked and we had the floor. They're just often how to the hell to get out of this funk. And I mean, I completely understand that. Um, that like, but but then again, like with Michael Carter being released, it definitely, it's definitely gonna suck because he was a 2021 fourth round pick, and the team's leading rusher in 2021 
And of course, he was benched um, after committing a chop block penalty early in the third quarter Sunday night. And he only played, and then the Jets, and he was a third down back. He only wound up playing up only eight snaps on the offense. And apparently, um, it opens up a spot for the rookie, Isaac Abanikanda. He's a fifth round pick from Pitt, who was inactive for the first nine games. And he will join Brees Hall and Dalvin Cook. And and I don't know if this will galvanize this offense, but who is, I mean, without Aaron Rodgers, to be honest, Zach Wilson has only, um, and and this offense has only produced a league low eight touchdowns, and it's a it's bad. And in the past two games, um, the Jets have covered have almost as many seventeen penalties and as points as nine, eighteen points to seventeen penalties. This season alone, like, good lord, they're only surviving well because well because of that defense. But yeah, yeah I mean, I just hope um, Michael Carter gets um, a better role because he has showed some promise as a rookie um, one time. But then when they drafted Brees Hall and traded for James Robinson, like he was not happy. And he did get into a heated exchange with their running back coach during week three. So hopefully they get something. Good luck to Bree- to good luck to uh, Michael Carter. Yep. Yeah, I mean this was another shocking move by the Jets. Um, I didn't think that they would cut Michael Carter, especially since he had like four and a half yards per carry last year in relief of uh, Brees Hall. He was, you know, that thunder to Brees Hall's lightning. Mm-hmm. Um, before they got injured. So I think this was a surprising move. I don't know if it's a cap casualty because, like you mentioned, he was a fourth-round pick, so it's not like it wasn't that huge of a cap hit. Right. But yeah. And the worst part is he was a locker room guy. He, he was a great locker room presence. Um, you know, so to to get rid of that type of a person, especially after this players-only meeting, uh, I don't know, kind of sends the wrong message. Um to your players so yep not much we can do from there but it is uh i hope i hope michael carter has a finds another home i think i mean yeah i wouldn't mind if the packers pick him up like maybe but maybe he goes to another contending team but yeah let's see next up uh another cut uh the patriots recently released jack jones their former fourth round pick um i think yesterday and then today they the raiders claimed this uh this cornerback off waivers um bill belichick on tuesday said that it was uh he felt it was time for him to move on with uh jack jones jack jones you know was a pretty decent player he was um pretty effective but over the past two games, he, his role had been diminished and he noticeably wasn't engaged with teammates on the sideline at times. You know, very sullen uh, and, and just sitting by himself. Um, so, you know, he was, he's 25. So he's still young. He's still in his prime. Um, but there were some, you know, on the field and off the field issues as well. Uh, so... Yep. He was also coming off of a, an injured reserve, uh, a hamstring injury of the first six games. So, yeah, he had some flashes and he had he definitely has speed that, you know, that that can work to 
your advantage as a cornerback. But I guess um, the Patriots had enough of him. So, yep. Now the Raiders can try and make something happen with Jack Jones. Yep, they can make something for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And last but not least, um, the other news is that Cowboys linebacker Leighton Van Der Esch, he unfortunately is out for the season because of that neck injury and some raising alarms. His career is also into question. Um, Todd Archer reported it this morning. And um, Jerry Jones said this on 105.3, the fan. Um, he had just completely left it up on how he was evolving. But of course, it is such a very significant loss. And Vanderesh, he was able, he was eligible to come up IR this week um, after getting hurt on October 8th against the Niners. But he still has lingering symptoms. And um, unfortunately, this has resulted from a play in which he was pushed from behind into the right leg of Micah Parsons, jabbing his neck. Um, he's had 35 tackles, one tackle for loss, two QB pressures, and a fumble recovery, but he returned for a touchdown in five games. But again, he was um, he has a history of neck, neck injuries coming in when um, prior, prior to him being drafted in 2018 as a first-round pick. So um, it does suck for him, but now that the Cowboys have like moved um have moved Damon Clark into the Van Der Esch's spot, and then you have Marquise Blair coming from the safety coming into those sub packages. So, uh, and then of course, um, they were able to add in Rashawn Evans from the practice squad, and you'll probably bring him in the 53 in that one. But it sucks for Van Der Esch, he's a great player. Yeah, I mean, th this is a huge loss for the for the Cowboys, especially on their run defense now. Mm -hmm. Um, another linebacker that could have been very effective for them and was very effective for them in defending the run now. Their run defense gets noticeably worse. So it's going to be interesting. Uh, the Cowboys don't have that tough of a schedule coming up, right? It's mostly just bad teams that they're facing. If you take a look at their upcoming schedule... Um, Are you trying to give them hope? No, see, look. Look, they're facing the Panthers, Commanders. Mm -hmm. So two games that they can win. Yeah, uh, they don't have many. Uh, they don't have great running backs that they're facing. But then the Seahawks, the the Eagles, the Bills, the Dolphins, and the Lions. That five week stretch is going to have some significant, you know, running backs and and powerful running games. Uh, you know, trying to tear open this. Um, this this Cowboys run defense and it's going to get even worse now without uh, Leighton Van Der Esch, uh, especially when you look at the Lions December 30th. I mean, the Lions just put up, you know, spoiler alert on the Chargers, 200 plus rushing yards um, on the Chargers oh, uh, rush defense. So, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this impacts specifically their run defense um, in the in the upcoming weeks. So yeah, that's it um, from the Damakedar news segment. And now we are going to recap the actual games that happened, starting with our games and starting with the Packers versus the Steelers. Oh, man. <laughs> why, 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 why? 
Uh, such a frustrating loss because it was probably the best looking loss we've had in a long time. We were so close to win. So close to win. Just four <laughs> points away. One of them being an uh, a missed uh, extra point because Josiah Deguara on special teams literally had like a frozen stick moment where he did not move for a flat two seconds was uh you know uh, as a um a field goal you know protector like a blocker at the edge he was lining up you know a yard and a half outside um the uh the end tackle on the left side of the field goal protection group and then that allowed Patrick Peterson of the of the Steelers to come around the end and then block the extra point which is why at the end we couldn't go for the game tying field goal and we had to go for the touchdown and spoiler alert Jordan Love threw an interception at that place because it was you know it would have been like a 45 yard game winning field uh game tying field goal with three seconds left but we couldn't do that because extra point was blocked. Thank you, Josiah DeGuara. I don't know why he's still on the team. One of the <laughs> worst draft picks ever by uh, Brian Gutekunst. He initially was uh, drafted as a tight end. He did not do well, uh, and he was you know third or fourth string at times uh, last year or two years ago under you know Big Bob Tunyon, Mercedes Lewis. So he was, you know, third or fourth string at, at that time. And then now we drafted two rookie tight ends who are still getting more snaps than he is at tight end with Luke Musgrave and Tucker Craft. So much so that Jazadegra then had to be relegated to a fullback role, which he wasn't even doing that properly well. So he isn't even a fullback now on the offense. He only faces like, you know, 10, 15 snaps on offense. And then now he's relegated to just special teams protector, which he's not even doing that well. Like, what is the use of this player? He's not an NFL player. He sucks, <laughs> but he's still on the team. And now he has caused, you know, an extra point block to happen. <clears throat> the frustration with, you know, a lack of change that's that 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 has occurred for the Packers front office and this coaching staff. They're reluctant to change things up when things are not going well and are easily being pointed out that they're not going well. You know, offensive line, John Runyon Jr. making repeated mistakes when Sean Ray or when Sean Ryan come uh, came in last week to fill in as a right guard. He was actually, you know, creating space in the running game and actually blocking well, but then they switched back to John Runyon Jr. Now there's no space in the running game on the right side. So it's like, how many times do we have to see this type of uh, inefficiency happen with the... Um, or sorry, not inefficiency, but, but reluctance to change. Like this is maddening. Like I, I finally understand what Steelers fans go through now with with their reluctance. They're even more uh, stubborn in terms of <laughs> changing stuff up. 
Like Matt Canada. <laughs> yeah, like Matt Canada. But you know what? Always yeah. bails out the Steelers at the end. That high end talent. And, and the BS that is Steelers football in the fourth quarter. Oh my God. <laughs> Speaking of BS, the stupid refs need to be fired into the sun. <laughs> there was a clear six point swing that would have happened for the Packers if the refs were not blind as bats in a in the sunlight all right they so for me to set uh, set up this play okay uh Kenny Pickett gets the ball in shotgun he has a running back to the uh to the right flat uh so he tries to throw the ball behind the line of scrimmage but it clearly once you look at the replay and you draw the line uh for draw the plane of uh of of the football you clearly see that uh, Kenny Pickett ends up throwing the ball behind the receiver or Ooh. or the plane of where the ball should have gone straight, and the receiver drops it. The Packers defense picks it up. Uh, defender Rashawn Gary picks it up, and he goes you know uh, near the end zone, but he steps out at like the six yard line. Uh, at the six-yard line of the Steelers, which means the Packers would have been first, uh, would have set up at first and goal from the six-yard line at that at that point. If if you know, um, and this was like in the second quarter or something. So pretty much in the first half. So that's a immediate at least three-point swing that would have happened. Uh, and then the refs called that an incomplete pass instead of a fumble, which it was recovered by the defense. They called it an incomplete pass. Like that's ah, that's so ridiculous. So I don't know ridiculous. what to tell you, man. But Ref ball like after, us? yeah. Go ahead. No, I was asking. I was just saying, like, yeah, ref ball at best, dude. Ref ball, man. Even after this. I still see comments on on Twitter and all of that saying that you know Jordan Love did this this was his fault the reason why we lost um and yeah he did throw two picks but it was not his fault right okay this loss was not on him this is probably the best I've seen Jordan Love since the second half of the Saints right um throughout the entire game mind you so they were actually having positive chunk plays that were created um, from the, you know, from the offensive scheme plan. They had, you know, a decent, uh, a play design, decent play design in 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 the play action uh, passing scenarios. So they were actually moving the ball well. And in the first half, like the first quarter, both offenses were scoring touchdowns on their first drives. Like it was revolutionary. Uh, it was a revelation, excuse me, to see both of these stuttering offenses, um, you know, actually scoring a touchdown on each side in the first, you know, couple of drives that they had. So, yeah. Jordan Love was not entirely at fault uh, for this game, right? If we take a little bit of a deep dive into his two picks, the first one, okay, maybe it's a little bit behind him. And so basically what happens is 
Uh, it's about you know 15, 20 yards out, um, and you have Christian Watson on a go route up the uh, up the sidelines to the end zone to get that end zone go route shot. Jordan Love throws it high and outside so that, uh, but it's a little bit behind so that Christian Watson would have to, you know, while jumping, he would have to face back and make the play as he reaches back, right? And then grabs the football. But still, that's a perfectly fine delivered ball that, you know, nine out of the top 10 QBs are going to make. It's just that the wide receivers are actually going to make the play and grab the football away from the cornerbacks because that's what a jump ball go-getting wide receiver needs to do. Like DK Metcalf would have made this play and it would have been an automatic touchdown, but Christian Watson is not DK Metcalf even though we drafted him to be like him, right? But in this case, Pat P tips the ball brilliantly. You know, he's a veteran, so he notices that he has safety help there. So Pat P pip, uh, tips it off, and then Keanu Neal is right there to intercept the ball, and he takes it uh, takes it out of the end zone for the Steelers, uh, and it's Steelers' ball. You know, but that was supposed to be Christian Watson's catch. Like, A.J. Brown would have made that catch. D.K. Metcalf would have made that catch. Mike Evans, any jump ball receiver who is – you know, build as a jump ball receiver would make that catch, but he didn't. So it's a low effort play from Christian Watson. And then his dad and his brother come out on. This is a whole nother thing, dude. His family are out there uh, just trying to, you know, destroy Jordan Love saying that, oh, he's, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, but basically they were saying, you know, oh, he's a scrub. He's not doing well. He's not throwing the ball to Christian Watson effectively, uh, properly. This is not Christian Watson's fault. They're like, they're over defending Christian Watson, even though, and I'll go into a little bit here. Uh, Christian Watson has not been good this year. Yes, he's been injured, but when he's been healthy, he's still not been good. And so they still keep defending Christian Watson, and it's frustrating to see that happen to uh, to a young team. Now, Jordan Love, to his credit, is just having all of this roll off his back, right? He's not reacting to this negatively at all, which is kudos to him. But still, like this, this is this is not the right thing uh, to happen here. Um, but anyways, let's go back to the to the interceptions. If you look at the second interception, it's the last play of the game. Three seconds left. They have to get a touchdown. Jordan Love has to do something here. You could clearly see all the Steelers. You know, they had like four or five guys at the end zone itself, you know, lined up in a straight line in the end zone with just like a four or five man rush. Uh, so they were basically playing like nickel defense right there. Uh, we obviously go, you know, five wide, you know, empty, empty set. Just get everybody down the field in the end zone to get some sort of a... a uh, an open receiver. And you could see that there are about two open receivers, one to the left-hand side. Romeo Dobbs was opening up uh, just when the ball was thrown uh, to the front uh, left side end zone pylon. So he probably would have gotten the touchdown there. And if you look towards the goalpost, you see that Luke Musgrave was also getting open there as well. So Jordan Love could have thrown it there, but Jordan Love trying to target Christian Watson makes a bad throw. Um, and you know, it's picked off, uh, at that point. So yeah, last play of the game. That one is, is kind of on him. He maybe had another player. Like 
if if he had held the ball for a second, he probably could have thrown to Luke Musgrave if if uh, Jordan Love stepped out of the pocket. Um, but there was, you know, the pocket was collapsing on him. He tried to make a gun, uh, you know, a, a throw didn't work. And, you know, that's that's the game there. But in the end, like, I'm not saying that there weren't bad throws. Obviously, there were, you know, this second interception. Uh, there were a couple of completions that he made that were, you know, off target. The receiver had to, you know, reach out or reach down to make the catch. Um, but he's definitely improving. And this was especially against a very stingy Steelers defense. All right. Now, speaking about Christian Watson, if you want to take a look at the leading uh, Green Bay Packer uh, reception leader. Who do you think it is, Rakshak? Huh. I'm going to say yeah. the the leading the, the, the leading receiver, the, the one with leading re receptions. Uh-huh. I'm going to guess Romeo Dobbs because he's been making, he's been doing okay. Yes, correct. It's Romeo Dobbs in both. Yes. He, he's he's number one in both targets and receptions. Christian Watson, fourth in targets, sixth in receptions. He's behind Aaron Jones, who was out for like five games or three games. And who was, you know, uh, or he was officially out for three games, but in like two other games, he was basically sidelined for 90% of the game. He's still sixth in receptions. Christian Watson. He has like a 50% catch rate. He uh Christian Watson is also sixth in receiver success rate with Dontavion Wicks, the best receiver in terms of success rate, catching success rate. Dontavion Wicks, who is, you know, a rookie, second round rookie player that we that we uh drafted this year, who has a lot of hype and a lot of things going for him, especially if Christian Watson continues to flounder. I predict Wicks is going to be far better than Watson as the X receiver role, as the leading guy, the number one wide receiver on this offense. I see Dontavion Wicks overtake that spot by Christian Watson, and Watson may may as well fill out like a, a Mikol Hardman or like an MVS type of role instead of the Tyreek Hill role that he was supposed to be, or like the DK Metcalf role, which is what he was supposed to be. Dontavion Wicks is going to overtake him, that's for sure. Um, one more thing, if you take a look at the passer rating when targeted, Jaden Reed has the highest passer rating at 118.1, Luke Musgrave 105, Dontavion Wicks 103.8, which is the same as Aaron Jones, and Christian Watson is 7th in passer rating when targeted. 37.8. Romeo Dobbs is better than him by almost triple at 90.1. Damn. I don't know what to say. He's not doing good. He's not doing good this year. Maybe it's the hamstring injury that he suffered. But even with that hamstring injury, that doesn't, you know, hamper his hands. But his hands have been the problem. And his effort has been the problem. Like, if he doesn't, if let's say he has a 10% reduction in his top speed because of the hamstring injury, I understand. If that reduces in like half a yard of separation uh, or a yard of separation uh, because of his hamstring injury, I understand that. But 
when the balls are thrown 50-50 when every other big jump ball receiver, number one jump ball receiver, goes up and makes an effort to get that catch, he doesn't make the effort to get that catch. That's a whole other story. That has nothing to do with your hamstring. That has everything to do with the effort that you're putting in. So, like, it's it's frustrating because we did give up, you know, we traded two first-round picks to, to move up to get Christian Watson. And if we miss out, that could be a huge loss for us, especially with, you know, uh, s- significant holes that could have been filled with those two first round picks. So, yeah, that's, I don't want to talk more about Christian Watson. I just want to continue debriefing about this game. The run game, like I mentioned in the recap, was the one that dictated this game. The Packers only mustered 116 yards on 24 rushes on against the Steelers' D-line. And we still saw similar issues with O-linemen missing blocks, uh, not creating enough space in the run game. A.J. Dillon was our leading uh, running back with uh, you know 70 rushing yards on nine attempts, but he had a long of 40. So on the other eight rushing attempts, he had 30 yards, which is less than four yards a carry. So we couldn't do enough in the run game. And the Steelers did plenty in the run game. They stole the show. 200-plus rushing yards allowed again, again, by this Joe Barry rushing defense on 35 carries, two touchdowns, six yards a carry. That, too, the longs for both Jalen Warren and Najee Harris were just 20 and 24 yards, respectively. So it's not like a 75-yarder that just you know, propped up the stat line here. It's just chunk rushing gains. Five yards here, four yards there, eight yards there. Like, it was frustrating to watch again. Jalen Warren, 15 attempts, 101 yards, one touchdown, long of 20. Najee Harris, 16 attempts, 82 yards, one touchdown, long of 24. And then that last drive by the Steelers hurt us as well. So it's just frustrating to see the same mistakes repeated over and over and over and over and over and over and over over again. And nothing is done. I don't know. I mean, this... I I think I figured out the answer to to one of the the biggest reasons why you lost, man. Mm -hmm. It's the power that compels you to take up a yellow towel and wave it. It's that stellar football. (laughs) (laughs) I'm trying to um, pay tribute to the great urinating tree. And if you had watched the um the live stream oh my god (laughs) that was glorious something like Uh, oh my god i'm not this in hell along with tom yes tom grassi was just like oh my god he was taking the terrible towel tom grassi packers fan was live streaming this game with (laughs) urinating tree who's a steelers fan and you know tom grassi at the end of the game after the touchdown happened he had or interception happened he had to like take the terrible towel and wave it, wave with, it. you know, uh, you know, uh, urinating in the background. playing the yeah polka music, the cheery <laughs> polka music in the background is like you know succumb to the BSness that is Steeler football. Like <laughs> it's the high end talent. The BS is real and un- it's true. With the way that things are going, man, I would not be surprised if this comes out of my mouth. 
Steelers going to Super Bowl. Steelers going to Super Bowl. No, Steelers going to Super Bowl. <laughs> the fact that they're still outgained on offense and defense, but have a six and three record. <laughs> I I don't. Uh, it's I, that high end talent, it's baby. High end talent. And the and the BS and that ref and the and the ref BS that they get via Steeler football. The fourth yeah. quarter when it, that's what makes it so damn confusing. Yeah, I don't know. Anyways, that's it for us. A lot of positive momentum for the Packers, but still a lot to improve on. What about the Eagles? Ah, well, basically, we had a bye this week along with the Chiefs. Um, nothing major happened except for Jason Kelsey being nominated as Sexiest Man Alive. I mean, that's just amazing. Better than his brother, Travis Kelsey. Of course, he's dang Taylor Swift. Derpy, derpy, derp. I could care less um we did make some practice squad moves um we got th this tight end noah Tongi togiai and um another another lineman we tried to get anthony barr as line as a practice squad linebacker but he went back to the vikings because jordan hicks has suffered an injury so and apparently there was news that the eagles were really close to getting pat certain the second during the trade deadline against the niners and um and that birds being healthy, I felt like there was like no bigger issues at all except focusing on Kansas City. And by the way, tomorrow, the, the second the second album of the like last year, um, Eagles Eagles lineman um, Lane Johnson, Jordan Mailata, and Jason Kelsey released a Christmas album, a Philly special Christmas. Bird Gang, a second album is being released tomorrow. <laughs> I am going to say that on my Spotify, and um, hopefully this this would be the time that the Eagles got back healthy, um, like at least like healthy, almost close to hundred percent in time for the gauntlet. And apparently, people have been telling me that oh, the gauntlet has already started with the Dallas win. It's like no, I called the gauntlet after the buy. So for me, the gauntlet starts. And let's take this one game at a time. I'm so confident in my Eagles. That's all there is. Mm -hmm. All righty. Moving on to the Masala Games of the Week recap. Starting oh. with the Texans versus the Bengals. Oh, my I tell God. You, I called that upset. I called it. Oh, man. I, I thought the Bengals were going to win this game. I told you, believe in the Texans. Believe in the Texans. I believe I called the score as well. Oh. Um, but I'm not sure. But yeah, I called the win. And I have to tell you, uh huh. CJ Stroud is the second coming of Jesus for the Texans. <laughs> they I, I like all the prayers that they had with that, you know, Patriots. Uh, uh, who was that guy again? Jack, um, Jack Kirby or something. Who was the Patriots, uh, former, um, cultural head or something who was basically like a pastor who I came in so, with like the that, yeah. Bill O'Brien regime? Yeah, anyways. There was some guy like that. And he was like a very weird, controversial dude. 
but all the prayers that he made for having the Texans getting a franchise QB has been answered with the coming of CJ Stroud. And let me tell you, he is an MVP candidate. In fact, he's the leader in the MVP race right now. Yeah. I mean, I would not be surprised. And you know what? I have a, I have a beat the dull moment after you talk about this because I have because it's really big. Okay, okay. So yeah, I mean, in this one against the against the Bengals defense, a top 10 passing defense, mind you, more than 350 passing yards. That's just ridiculous. Just one time. That's it. Like, yeah, they had turnovers. He did have an interception and I believe another fumble, but it doesn't matter having more having passed more than 350 yards on one of the top 10 passing defenses that's insane that is insane what they were able to do what he was able to do and especially if you look at some of the plays it's not just from like a statistical standpoint if you watch the film and if you watch the game you could just see how he commanded that presence he he had like the uh, franchise QB presence, like Justin Herbert did in his rookie. I thought year. he was a veteran. Yeah, he looked like a veteran man. Yeah, I mean, like the the poise that he had in the pocket, the the ice that was running in his veins, that you know nothing was phasing him. And yeah, like they he fumbled a snap that you know that was not lost, but that rendered into a negative play for them. But regardless of all the things that they had to do. Uh, all the obstacles that he had to face, he still overcame it and went into hostile territory, into Cleve, uh, into Cincinnati, and won. Won. Like, and it's not like his defense was doing him any favors. Joe Burrow was just as efficient. Um, if if you look at his passing styles, uh, passing stats, three hundred and forty-seven passing yards. 27 attempts, uh, 27 completions on 40 attempts, two touchdowns, two picks, right? But Joe Burrow was sacked four times. Now, the big thing, though, the big thing wasn't the Texans' passing offense, but it was their rushing game, dude. That's why they won this. Damn. 34 attempts, 188 yards, five and a half yards per carry, two touchdowns, and Devin Singletary was on fire. 30 rushing attempts, 150 rushing yards, and a touchdown. And if you look at the scheme that they were running, a lot of easy outside zone runs with you know a good blocking scheme set up by that Texans O-line, executed well by that Texans O-line, and gave a ton of holes for Devin Singletary to run through. Like they completely eliminated the Cincinnati Bengals D line. And if it wasn't for Joe Burr, they would have dominated the Bengals by more than 10 points. They would have won this game. It was that shocking of an offensive performance. And this was with a rookie QB, not so st uh, star studded offense, and a rookie, uh, rookie offensive play caller. It was, it was, you know, I mean, it was just fantastic. I, I just want to, there's this one famous play that he made that uh, sadly did not count. And it was a touchdown, a touchdown throw. 
So it was basically, and I'm gonna share this with you here, uh, mm -hmm. just to just for you to see this as well. Okay, so you can see my screen, right? I I'm yeah. sorry that this is audio listeners for everybody, but you you should have watched this right here. That um, was I think I remember seeing this place. So yeah, so you can see that you know he's looking off. He's looking off the uh, strong side safety over there to try and get some of these players open. You can see that there's not enough open here. Uh, and, you know, he has a pretty decently clean pocket. So he's 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 moving, you know, the receivers. Uh, but now the pocket breaks down and he has to run out. So he's basically running 10 to 12 yards behind the line of scrimmage, rolls out of pressure, okay, and then he, you know, tries to go, uh, he tries to make some moves with his eyes, uh, trying to hold the safeties and the linebackers out. But uh, at the end of the uh, end zone, he sees that, you know, um, one of the receivers is wide open and he throws off platform with, you know, two Bengals, including Trey Hendrickson right at his heels you know, off-platform, across his body, and throws, jumping, a dot. A dot. What a where, exactly, A dot to where he was. And unfortunately, this didn't count because the receiver stepped out of bounds and was the first guy to touch the ball. That was a great play regardless. I mean, like, it was beautiful. Beautiful to watch. Uh, it was... I mean, there's not much to say other than the fact that he's the he's the leading MVP candidate. I'm sorry. Like, if you want to say Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes isn't doing what CJ is doing. Like, if if Mahomes was taken out, they still could win with their defense and a running game. The Texans will not win any game if CJ Stroud is taken out. So that's why he is my leading MVP candidate. Now the Bengals, they're in serious trouble now. They're 5-4 and four on a short week facing the 7-3 and three Ravens who just had another loss against oh the my. stupid Cleveland Browns, which you will talk about. Um, uh, and, and now the Bengals are facing them this Thursday night in prime time. They need a win now to not fall behind in contention for the playoffs and in the division. They're currently last in the AFC North with the Ravens at seven and three, Steelers at six and three, Browns at six and three, and now the Bengals at five and four. So the Bengals need to start, you know, picking up the slack and and, and continue the winning streak that they established before. But it was it was surprising to see the way that the Texans just dominated. I thought that it would be, a, um, you know, it ended up being a closer game because the Bengals' offense was continuing the hot streak that they were on. They just didn't make enough plays as CJ Stroud did and the Texans' running game. Yeah, I mean, but, like, also another big thing, I was, like, while we were talking about this breakdown, man, I was going through, like, some team stats. The bet, Like, compared to the, like, the, I think one of the biggest differences that I saw was the running game disparity. The Texans mm -hmm. rushed for 188 total yards compared yep. to the Bengals' 66 y rushing yards. Yep. You yep. cannot win games like this. Yep. I'm sorry. You yep. need to run the ball. And that's what the Texans were able to do. Yeah. And if you look at the yardage discrepancy as well, 
Houston racked up 544 yards. Oh my versus the God. Cincinnati's 380. And the and Houston was minus one in the turnover differential as well. They lost two fumbles and had a pick. So they had three total turnovers, whereas Cincinnati had two total uh interceptions and uh and the Bengals couldn't capitalize on it. Yeah. This is good and the Bengals had fewer, yeah. They had fewer penalties as well. They had three fewer penalties, but they had more penalty yardage. Yeah. Yeah. But just yeah. incredible. Yeah. If you look at the expected points breakdown, the Texans passing expected points generated about 10.59 expected points, whereas the Bengals, 7.33. My goodness. And you know what? With this, I actually have a beat the dough moment, which I was telling you about. Uh huh. I decided to peek further into the Texas schedule and their opponent, the Jacksonville Jaguars, who I will talk about later. You know what? I may be wrong about my what I predicted earlier for the AFC South. With the and I looked at the schedule. I think the Texans can steal the AFC South and get to the playoffs. Ooh. Are you saying that they're gonna win the division? They could win their division. I they mean, have yeah, a, they have it, a win over the Jaguars. They can win that one, but with the way that Jags O line has been completely suspect, and yeah. now and then, um, I mean, looking at and looking at the Texas schedule up ahead, they have the Cardinals facing. That's going to be a win, regardless win. of how well Kyler Murray plays. Jaguars and Texas are going to be a toss up, but Tech, but Houston's looking way too comfortable at the moment. Yeah, I'll take the Texans at this point, especially winning against the Cards. Broncos country versus Houston. That will be a fun game to watch if the Broncos started start winning more games. But I will I favor CJ Stroud over this game. Texas versus Jets. The Jets aren't going to do Jack because Jets, I think Zach that will... might be a loss because the Jets defense might be just good enough to prevent right. the Texans offense. So I think the three losses that are potential for them are the Jets, the Browns, and maybe a split with the Titans. You never know how divisional games might go. That is true. So and they also, might split that game also, where they yeah. go to Nashville. Yeah, but I but I mean like even with that, I would still trust that I think the Texans can still pull off as they have a chance to win this division. If Jack like if Jack if, they, if Jacksonville loses to Houston in the next two weeks, Houston has it for the taking, and I think they I think they secure a playoff spot. And with this, CJ Stroud definitely my op, my offensive MVP, and and I also have a bold take: D'Amico Ryan's Coach of the Year. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, if if the Texans were able to get to the playoffs, which it looks like they would, uh, yeah. You know Coach what? Give us the chaos. Get to the playoffs, Texas. Let's go. Win the AFC South, Texans. Let's go. Dude, I, and I, and speaking of AFC South, I think this is where I have to talk about my game of the week. Uh -huh. Why? The curse is back, isn't it? <laughs> The curse was delayed for you. <laughs> Everyone, um, Anna, can you remind them? What, can you remind our gentle listeners what the curse is? The curse, the Raksha curse, is as potent as the Brandon Perna curse, the curse <laughs> wheel. Uh, the fact is, any masala game that he chooses ends up being stale and overcooked and under seasoned. <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't get it. This is stupid. And of course, good lord, the curse is back. And you know what? I was going through this PFF article today. You know what it said? The first paragraph. And I quote, the Jacksonville Jaguars welcomed the San Francisco 49ers after both teams enjoyed a bye week. And the Jaguars also welcomed San Francisco into their end zone all game long. <laughs> Savage. Ooh. Oh, Rumba spicy. Rumba got him. Oh my God. And it was insane. Like the 49ers offense, they were averaging eight yards per play and they moved the down, moved the ball down the field with explosives and by staying ahead of the chase and sustaining the drives. I mean, Trevor Lawrence, God bless his soul. He was bad. I mean, let's talk about the, the Niners offense. Brock Purdy had a great bounce back game. He had 19 19 for 26, 296 yards, three touch and three touchdowns. Um, the the offensive line with um, with Trent Williams really helped, and of course the biggest bounce, the biggest um guy was Debo Samuel, dude. With even though he had like limited snaps, he I mean he he had like four targets for for receiving out of four targets, 30 30 yards, and he also rushed for 29 yards out of, for three carries and a touchdown. That offense is completely different with Debo Samuel on the field, and it helps Brock Purdy get that get get get, get that additional um, <clears throat> get more additional weapons for him. The oh, and um, of course the big the biggest target was George Kittle. If you had him on fantasy, you had scored big. He had four. He had three targets for. He had three receptions for 116 yards and a touchdown. Um, Christian McCaffrey. He had a huge game. He had um, 95 yards for out of 16 carries, six receptions for um, 47 yards. But Anand, we are about to enter Armageddon because he did not score a touchdown this game. This streak has ended. Mm -hmm. Every game for 17 games, he has scored a touchdown. But that streak is over. The world is falling apart. The Jags defense, I don't know what was that, but it was horrible. The only Jags defense to ever show up was Foye Oluwakun. He had two sacks and three tackles for a loss. Um, Devin Lloyd had showed some good tackling. I believe he had about um <clears throat> he had like a game high seven solo tackles, but as a coverage player, he was so bad. I mean Especially like for linebackers, you have to cover a middle of the field. George Kittle went to town on it. Like it, it was brutal. The Jags' offensive line, bro, they were not a freaking match for that Niners defense. Turnstile. Huh? They were a turnstile. Oh, yeah. Dude, they were curb stomped. Mm -hmm. That's how bad it was. Trevor Lawrence, 17 for 29, 185 yards and two interceptions. CJ Beathard came in the game, one for two, five yards. Christian Kirk even had a throw. Like, cool, whatever. Don't care. But the only saving grace, again, was Christian Kirk. That's why you pay him the big butts. <laughs> Trent Palkey. <laughs> Six receptions, 104 yards. 
He was the only Jacks player with at least 30, rece 30 receiving yards or 50 total yards of scrimmage on that day. Ooh, that's not good, especially with the trade for Calvin Ridley. Oh, can you know how much Calvin Ridley got? Two receptions for 20 yards. Dearness Johnson, two for 28. Evan Ingram, four for two, four for 12. Travis Etienne, where the hell was he in the game? He had only nine, 35 rushing yards and nine receiving yards. You know, he Maurice Jones-Drew has Travis Etienne as his second best running back in his top 10 running back ranking. Oh, my God, dude. Lower the list, bro. <laughs> Lower the list. This is what happens. MJD, you cursed your own Jags player, man. Shame on you. Yeah, and he put, like, DeAndre Swift at sixth or something. Okay, I can see why. But, <laughs> I mean, MJD, come on, man. Like, especially this is the the – the the edge uh, very basically um i have a new nickname for the niners defensive ed defensive end um end group we're calling it ohio state nick <laughs> both and chase young they had a, they apparently had a sack they teamed up for a sack in the first half and it was the first of five sacks on trevor lawrence javon hargrave former eagle with 1.5 sacks and a tackle for a loss and of course a crazy play with Palanoa Hafunga. He had a quick and this is from PFF. Quick reaction to the ball. Like this was a screen pass, supposed to be a screen pass, a short pass to Tank Bigsby. He quick reacts it and a little too much zip. And he deflects it. Fred Warner is a was able to like either like get some downfield coverage. He got himself a second interception. I mean. The Niners' defense went to town on on Trevor Lawrence. Man, they took him to they they didn't take him to down they didn't take him to uptown. They took him to downtown Jacksonville, and they reversed Saxonville against Jacksonville. <laughs> I just made that up. I don't know why I did, but I mean it was so bad. Trevor Lawrence's QBR fifteen point one. That's not what you expect from top QB prospect. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I don't, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. Like, I think Urban Meyer broke him. It's just like a, a long uh, re, uh, fix project, you know? A long like, fix project. Yeah, a long fixer-upper. That, that's what he is. Ah. Uh, I see. Like he has yeah. a good foundation, but you know the 1970s wallpaper is still see-through. It, it, it's still there. Yeah, I mean, yeah. Fred Warner and Talanoa Hafunga with both two, with both, um, with each having an interception. I mean, this Jacksonville defense, which is supposed to be bonnet. I mean, Fred Kyle Shanahan, man, they like ran over them big time. They rushed for like 144 yards. Mm -hmm. which is good um anyway this is kind of bad for me because now the the niners are getting their groove at the moment and of course the jags they're slipping if they slip a little bit more then that beat the dole might come true with the texans creeping up slowly that's all i'm gonna say
Get your ish together. Mm-hmm. Get your ish together, Jags. The Texans are coming up. They're like a game and a half behind now. All and right. you know what? Uh, if if you need any more motivation, Dougie P, let's go Texas. <laughs> uh, yep, yep. All righty. Now let's move on to the Bonch Minute recap segment. Let's the go. best segment of this episode, starting with the AFC this time. Colts versus Patriots. Colts win 10 to 6 in Frankfurt, Germany. Oh, Mac Jones bench again. I don't think Germany will ever allow the NFL to host an NFL game there now. They have suffered two tragic events the invasion of Germany during World War II, and now this game. And now this game. (laughs) Yes. In the 80-year history of the German Federation, these are the two worst things that could have happened to them. Oh, <laughs> World War II and the Colts versus Patriots. Hey, oh, don't forget the Berlin Wall. <laughs> exactly. Th- three worst things. Oh, my God. Patriots have now lost. Get ready. As um, many games and- in the past two and a half years without Tom Brady than they did in all 20 years with Tom Brady. And um, before we, uh, before I continue, I want to say to all to any German listeners um, to of NFL Masala, on 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 with this sorry in German. <laughs> yes, yes, we we are very sorry that this type of a product made across the ocean and uh, across the Western European continent over or Western European. Over to Germany. But yeah, that's what happened. Colts win 10 to 6 after Mac Jones was benched again for Bailey Zappi. And they had probably the dumbest throw ever. Oh my God. (laughs) The fake spike thrown directly into triple coverage for the game ending interception. But yeah, moving on. Browns versus Ravens. Browns win 33-31. And all you can say to the Ravens, you blew it. You blew it. Uh, Ravens had were up 20 to 7 in the they game in the end of the first half. Yeah. You blew it. You, you had it. it. You blew it. And this too in Baltimore. Oh, in Baltimore. Deshaun Watson probably had one of the worst first half stat lines you'll ever see with like nine of 20 for 60 something yards and a, and a pick. And then the second half, he was like 14 of 16 for 160 yards, a rushing touchdown. Oh, my God. <laughs> Why, Ravens? Why? Why did you allow the Browns to have hope? Uh it's the AFC North rearing its ugly head again. Moving on. Lions versus Chargers. Lions win 41-38 in a game where defense is not in the common vernacular. Herbert needs to be saved here. He was brilliant, but Brandon Staley fails again. Like charging again, man. Again. Herbert there are three things in life. Death. Taxes and chargers charging it when it matters the most. Mm-hmm. 
They allowed more than 200 rushing yards by the Lions. Jameer Gibbs had probably one of his best games in his career right now. Uh, so frustrating to see. Speaking of frustrating games to see, Jets versus Raiders, something to cure uh, insomnia. Raiders win 16 to 12. <laughs> I feel okay, bad. I feel bad for Jets D. Man, what an abuse. You know what? Episode. I don't feel sorry for them. After what they did to my Eagles, I want them to feel pain. I am petty as hell, and I don't care. Oh, man. Not like this, dude. Not like this. They so deserve why? everything coming to uh, Well, anyways, they, they would have won. Had it not been for, you know, Tyler Conklin playing safety on the <laughs> game, you know, what would have been the game-ending uh, touchdown by Hail Mary throw had Garrett Wilson caught it. And it was a, a brilliant throw by Zach Wilson, you know, escaping pressure just like Aaron Rodgers did on his Hail Mary throws, uh, moving to the left-hand side, throwing off platform 70, 65 to 70 yards in the air, into the end zone where Garrett Wilson was leaping up to grab it, but Tyler Conklin was there with his arm playing safety as the Jets' tight end to swat the ball away from Garrett Wilson. And now, finally, you have the Monday night game of the Broncos versus Bills. Oh. As we mentioned, the result of this loss for the Bills ended up being the firing of their offensive coordinator. So if you lose so humiliatingly that you fire your OC this week, maybe next week you lose by 30 points and fire Sean McDermott? I don't know. If they end up 5-6, and six, what, what, what are the Bills' next games? Let's see this. Oh, yeah. I, no, they, oh. I know that. Yeah, They're facing the Jets. <laughs> and then your Eagles, and then Chiefs, Dude. and then Cowboys. Oh, my God. <laughs> Bills, I need you to be good for the last two games. Chiefs and Cowboys. Dude, are they winning a single game in the next four games? I don't know, man, with the way that they're playing. But, hell, I, I was very worried about this Bills team. But now that I'm seeing them lose this in, a ma in, in this, ma this matter of fashion, I'm like, damn, we can win this game. They might go 5-9 and nine in the next four games. It's oh a possibility. <laughs> Free-falling, man. Dude. It would that be insane if they closing. do. Mm-hmm. Uh anyways, that's it from my side. But um, I'd also like to say um thank you so much for supporting Broncos Country because whenever I have my alter ego, I go myself as Mr. Unlimited. So Broncos <laughs> that's right. That was by Russell Wilson, our local fan of NFL, a local a resident listener of NFL Masala. So on to the NFC side. Panthers versus Bears. Why am I watching this game? Why did this happen? The only time I actually tuned into this game was to see Jason Kelsey because he was providing some stats. And I mean, I love the, I love, I love, I love the mayor of Philly right there. 
And um, uh, yeah, Panthers lose this game and they still lose that number one pick to the Bears. <laughs> Good job on that. Saints versus Vikings. 19 to 27 Vikings win. Bro, Josh Dobb can get lost in the stadium prior to a, prior to playing his first home game. Yet he's still pulling on a W, man. This kid is incredible. I mean, he's working with NASA. And he's like, and I mean, he helped beat the Cowboys. He did America a favor. And now he's with the Vikings and winning games. I mean, damn, that's incredible. And of course, Derek Carr, a Derek Carr injury leads to the return of our favorite quarterback, famous Jameis Winston. And he did have a 30 for 30 stat on him. One touchdown, one interception. <laughs> Them tasty turnovers are still going on. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. So, I mean, they, he almost had a chance to win the game, but it was a tasty turnover. No, actually, correction. He had two touchdowns and two interceptions. <laughs> 30 for 30, Jameis. 30, 30 for, 30. for 30 once again. <laughs> Yes, and now um, Titans versus Buccaneers. Um, Mayo doesn't work against Mayfield. Baker Mayfield, um, he had a good game. 18 for 29, 278 yards, two touchdowns, one interception. I think with the rest of the AFC, the NFC North losing, Buccaneers are definitely primed to get the number one spot. Will Levis, 19 for 31, almost 200 yards of passing and one interception, sacked four times. Yeah, Bucks defense got together. Mike Evans had a career day. Six receptions, 143 yards, and one touchdown. Guy's still awesome. Um, Falcons versus Cardinals. Falcons lose 23 to 25. Oh, am I not surprised by that? Nope. But welcome back, Kyler Murray. He had a great return. Um, put up some nice plays. And he did you see that scramble that he made to, to lead on to that game-winning field goal? That was amazing. And of course, Fire Arthur Smith to the moon. Seriously, Arthur Blank. You're extending him until 2024? Shame on you. Giants versus Cowboys. Cowboys win 49-17. to Of course, you're stat padding against a bad Giants team led by Tommy DeVito, um, the cousin of Dan Danny DeVito, LOL. But um, And then they're already having Super Bowl hopes on on. There's a false hope. I'll be shake. I'm calling you out on that, man. It's like, oh, yeah, Cowboys are going to go back in the Super Bowl. Just like that, all those analysts. But, yeah, guess what? When y'all face good teams, y'all tend to crap the bed. Like, seriously. Get, They're get the Dolphins of the NFC. <laughs> Perfect. Um, Commanders versus Seahawks. Commanders lose on a and I mean another game winning field goal. This is this is really turning into a habit, isn't it? Uh, mm hmm And six. Yep, commanders um lose 29 to 26. But man, Sam Howell looked pretty good. 29 for 44, 312 yards, three touchdowns. Gino, I mean, passing. I mean, Gino almost had 370 yards with two touchdowns. Um I think the only difference was a Seattle rushing game. Kenneth Walker had that crucial. Did you see that one pass that um, it was a 64 yard screenplay? Um, Geno Smith takes a short pass and Kenneth Walker, they, that yak ability is just insane. DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett and Jackson Smith and Jigba. They're dangerous in the future, man. Um, 
seriously, what the hell is defense? That's what I want to know. Mm -hmm. And, um, I mean, it was a very close game. The commanders almost had this game, but it was, but I think like it was, um, the Geno Smith passed to DK Metcalf for 27 to the Washington 25. And he was able to know how to spike the ball. That was the game. That was the game ceiling. That's all I got. All righty. So that's going to be it for the bunch minute recap. Now to talk about the masala moment of the week. Uh, I have one. And that is the, the play that happened in, um, in that Broncos-Bills game. This play was a seven-yard touchdown pass from Russell Wilson to Cortland Sutton. And according to Next Gen Stats, it had a completion probability of 3.2%. The most improbable completion of the entire Next Gen Stats era. 37.8 yards in the air. And it was almost a yard into the sideline, which is where Cortland Sutton had the amazing textbook definition of toe drag swag to maintain possession of the ball and uh, catch it in the end zone. And no words will do justice for me to describe this. So I implore all listeners to go to YouTube and watch the highlight of this play. It was magnificent. Probably the best play I've seen this year. Dang, that was good. <clears throat> um, I do have a so my game of the so my play of the week moment of the week. We gotta go back to the Baltimore Cleveland game. <laughs> and you know what play I'm going to be referring to. Ravens have the ball. They are leading seven. I believe they're leading 24 to 31 late in the fourth quarter. Lamar Jackson is in, he's in a shot. He's in shotgun mode. No, he's in shotgun formation. Steps back to pass on a second and eight. Throws it. The ball is tipped. Intercepted by Greg Newsome. All the way for a pick six to make it 30 to 31. And of course, they missed the extra point. But that completely changed the entirety of the game. That pick six. Mm -hmm. When I saw that happening, I'm like, oh my God, the Browns are actually going to win this game. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I mean, that was one of the most spectacular plays of ineptitude that i've seen from the ravens so far All right that that like you mentioned that completely changed the complexion of this game uh and and just changed the momentum and from then on they just weren't able to recover so i think the ravens you know the ravens are like south africa of football oh my inconsistent God. chokers Oh my God. <laughs> they have all the talent to drop a 50 burger and decimate your opponent. But then the next game, they just choke just like South Africa does. 
in cricket for NFL fans who don't know what we're referring to. South Africa are chokers of cricket. Sheesh, dude, you have like no filter, man. <laughs> no filter. <laughs> this is NFL Masala we're talking about. No filter. Let's go. All righty. Moving on. That is the end of the week 10 recap. Now we're going to preview week 11. And my God, we're already at week 11 of the regular season. This season has flown by so fast. And I'm sad. But to cheer myself up, actually, I won't be able to cheer myself up now because we have a stupid game, Packers versus Chargers. I'm not going to talk much about it. It seems like it's going to be a fun matchup. You know, they're two of the worst rushing defenses facing two strong running backs in Austin Eckler and Aaron Jones. The Chargers are 21st in defensive rushing success rate allowed, while the Packers are just behind them at 22nd. Whereas the, uh, uh, you know, the Chargers offense uh, in terms of rushing EPA per play is 22nd. Green Bay Packers are 19th. So it's not like you have two stalwarts going against each other. These are two pathetic teams going against each other, trying to get a win. But they have two strong running backs in Aaron Jones and Austin Eckler. So I expect both of them to have more than 100 yards each and to have their fantasy teams, uh, fantasy games on point as well. Now, Justin Herbert has an exciting matchup here. He faces a pretty decent Green Bay Packers pass defense, uh, especially as of late. They've been pretty good. Um, statistically, they're around middle of the pack, but so far in the past three or four weeks, they've held, you know, if you want to take a look at the quarterbacks that they've held to, Steelers, you know, they, they had... Um, <clears throat> ah! Hold up. Let me bring up the scoreboard here. Steelers, Kenny Pickett, 126 yards of passing, right? Rams, you have... <laughs> you had Brett Rippon, so he had like 130 yards, but we had an interception there. Minnesota, we had Kirk Cousins, but 274 yards for him. Um, so as of late, they've been okay... I mean, against Russell Wilson, 194 yards. So they've been okay, but I feel like this is the one where Justin Herberts really explodes even more because he is top 10 in terms of EPA and a CPOE composite score. So not only is he you know, explosive, but he's also uh, highly efficient. So I expect him to have a 350-plus yard passing game more than three touchdowns so in terms of betting wise take the higher on justin herbert whatever his stats are against this packers defense takes the uh take the higher because they definitely have the personnel and the offensive scheme to decimate this packers passing uh defense especially you know if jair continues to be questionable um Quay Walker is still questionable. Eric Stokes is still on IR. Darnell Savage is on IR. So when you look at our top cornerbacks, uh, you have Carrington Valentine, who's a fifth-round rookie. Corey Valentine, who's a sixth-round rookie. Keyshawn Nixon, who is, you know, Keyshawn Nixon. 
we just picked up Q Kelly, Q Blue Kelly off the practice, uh, off the waivers. Uh, so this is our cornerback depth right now. And they're facing Keenan Allen, Quentin Johnson, Austin Eckler, everybody else. So I don't really have that much high of a, of a hope with this secondary group facing the facing the Chargers offense. So we'll see. We'll see their passing offense. But for me, what I'm really, really worried about is the Packers' pass protection against the fifth-ranked Chargers defense in terms of adjusted sack rate. Packers' offense in terms of pass pearl has not been good. They've been leaking pressure, uh, pressures left and right. John Runyon has not been doing that well. You know, Josh Myers has been inconsistent. Rasheed Walker has been inconsistent. Elton Jenkins has probably been the most consistent offensive lineman that we've had, but he also makes mistakes. So our offensive line has not been that positive in terms of pass protection, right? If you look at uh, pressures that uh, we've allowed so far in or, or sacks that we've allowed so far in the previous games, Against the Steelers, um, you know, we allowed one sack, but there was a lot of pressure. Um, against the Rams, we had um, another, uh, let's see, four sacks allowed, right? So Minnesota, you had um, four sacks allowed. And then if you look at Denver, I believe you had another, you know, uh, so we had zero sacks there. So in the last four games, we've given up nine sacks and, you know, double digit like pressures, at least 20 pressures so far. So it's not been very good in terms of, you know, protecting Jordan Love. So I expect to see some forced fumbles and the turnover problem continuing here while Jordan Love is in pocket, while the pocket collapses. So for me, at the end of the day, I predict the Chargers to get to 500 with a win against the Packers. 31-21. Austin Eckler having a nice day. Justin Herbert having a nice day. And the Chargers defense pressuring Jordan Love into three to five sacks. And causing two turnovers. Damn. I don't know what to tell you about that, man. But I think I still think the Packers do have a chance because that Chargers defense, I think they're like close to being dead last, especially against the against the pass against the pass. Like their secondary is weak. So I can that is definitely, true. They're they're you have favorable match. Great. Yeah. But yeah, I mean if we if we were to take a look at like, you know, um, Let's say uh, adjusted net yards, right? So adjusted net yards per attempt, their fifth highest uh, at 6.9 yards per attempt. So, yeah, I uh, I will say that they definitely have a shot. Um, you know, the Packers are kind. I mean, they're they're not bad. Packers are not bad, but I don't know. I expect I expect um, 
the uh, I expect Justin Fields to have a uh, Justin Herbert to have a good game against us. But yeah, we'll see. We'll see. Moving on to the Eagles versus Chiefs. Oh man! Oh baby! This is it. A Super Bowl rematch between Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes in, I believe, one of the toughest places to play on God's green earth. In basically in the United States. Arrowhead Stadium. Or the GH Field in Arrowhead. Um, whatever. But it's, I mean, I was looking at the odds lately. Um, the Eagles are 2.5 underdogs. You know what? I like that because e because we've embraced this underdog mentality, us against the world. Everyone, every team, every pundit and analyst has been doubting us. We have been expressing it since 2017 when we wore those dog masks and, and Jason Kelsey gave that speech in a mummer's costume. And this is perfect. This is the perfect scenario. Everyone is going to be behind Patrick Mahomes. This is where I think the Eagles are going to have some fun with this. Now, let's do some situational matchup. Eagles defense versus the Chiefs offense. I mean, good Lord. This is going to be a very tough test for this Eagles secondary. And this is they're going up against a very interesting offense that is finding ways to win games and helping passing and helping Patrick Mahomes. The method is called passing via committee other than Travis Kelsey. Yes, folks. The Kansas City Chiefs are actually are actually winning games without depending too much on Travis Kelsey. If Patrick Mahomes needs like another wide receiver like Rasheed Rice or Rico Harbin, boom, he gets that. That is how damn good this offense led by it. Like, although Matt Nagy is their coordinator, guess who the brainchild behind this type of offense is? Guess who was the main guy on Andy Reid? Yep, good old Andy Reid, man. Um, I'll always thank you for your services in Philadelphia, but right now you are the enemy, like Eric B. Enemy. I mean, the, and this and their passing offense is like really not too bad. They're like they're fifth according to ESPN um, in passing yards, two hundred sixty-four point nine. That's how much they average, and they're nineteenth in rushing yards, one hundred three point eight. Um, and they're 13th in points for, although like their offense has been very shaky, but the chiefs are finding ways to win games with this type of offense and the efforts of Patrick Mahomes. And if you want to talk a little bit about Mahomes, my boy from the greatest university in the world, Texas tech university, two times Super Bowl champion. And he has beaten UT in a senior year, by the way. Uh -huh. Um, I mean, what can this guy not do? Like he can, he can, he can beat you in the run. He can beat you in the pass. And of course, the, the his leading his favorite target, Travis Kelsey, five hundred ninety-seven receiving yards. He's been at and with fifty-seven receptions and four touchdowns. But and their top running back, Isaiah Pacheco, who I picked him up on fantasy. I both have Kelsey and Pacheco on my fantasy right now. And um. And like, and even though they go with an offense-based committee, it works well. And and what's even crazier, they're although they're they don't like. If I were to give you big names of wide receivers, Anand, like it wouldn't matter 
because they're so damn fast. They're excellent route runners. You can literally line them anywhere. You can put them on the outside. You can put them in the slot. You can put them in a tight end position. Hell, you can ask them to play freaking running back with jet via jet sweep motions, man. Like, they're so ridiculously fast. Rasheed Rice, he is an, he was an excellent late-round pick for the Chiefs. I mean, no, he was a second-round pick, and he already has 370 receiving yards, averaging 11.8 yards per reception. That is just insane. Great yak ability, already with four touchdowns. Rasheed Rice, and we already know about MBS. We already know about Miko Hardman. Sky Moore, last year's rookie, who has been playing really well. Justin Watson, he can basically line up in the slot. Although, um, no, he's not even a rookie. He's been drafted in 2018, um, pick number five with the Bucks. But he's been also productive as well. Adding, uh, can also play like a bit, of, I think it's almost like a bigger build, a tight end type. And of course, Travis Kelsey, everyone's favorite Kelsey at the moment. And of course, Taylor Taylor Swift's boyfriend. Oh, like every time Taylor Swift is in the game, Travis Kelsey plays better, which he does. I mean, like, what do you expect? You got to perform for your girlfriend, man. If you're not, she gonna dump you. And in this case, if it's with Taylor Swift, if he if Travis Kelsey doesn't perform, she's gonna dump him and then write an, a song about him as being one of his ex, being one of her exes. Ooh. You know that's. It's Why true. On here, I hey, I'm a Swifty man, but I'm not that super hardcore. Like I'm not a super hardcore Swifty. I'm the same. Okay. But Travis Kelsey, he is going to be the main target, and Isaiah Pacheco. But I think, and, and like, and and the crazy thing with Mahomes, man, his average time to throw, according to next gen stats, two point nine five seconds, which is the sixth best figure. And I don't know how this Eagle secondary is going to line up against this man. It has to be a matchup based. And the biggest thing is going to be Travis Kelsey. And if I'm the Chiefs, I am looking at that slot corner position because that is where the Eagles are at weak. They're so the our lineback linebackers in Zach Cunningham and Nicholas Morrow have been playing well. But with Nicobe Dean out on IR with a with an ankle injury i think it's like a lips 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 frantic or something like that um i part of my term my medical terminology on that but it is bad like the secondary i mean as in like the middle of the field coverage and i think that sean desai has to come up with a game plan to to somewhat defend the middle of the field especially with those lining up in the slot. I can see Travis Kelsey going inside the entire game. You can imagine him too. He's going to eat, get 10 yards, turn into a big yak chunk play. That's exactly why the, how the Eagles are bad in middle of the field coverage. And secondary, I mean, Darius Slate, he's been the only good player, but James Bradbury has been getting cooked. Eli Rick, Sidney Brown. This has to be a good game for Sean Desai. He has to... I mean, I want to see if you're going to play zone, don't play off of the receivers. Try and press up a little bit. Make a beat for the physicality. And you have to play to your player strengths. I mean, it sucks. I would put Darius Slay on your best player, but unfortunately, Travis Kelsey is bigger than Darius Slay. So put him on a wide receiver like MBS or Miko Hardman. Um, Kelsey, hell, I don't know if you could put a safety on him or Bradley Roby can try and tackle him. 
or hell, try put James Bradbury. I don't know. Luckily, there will be no referee to toss a passing interference call on him. And luckily, they're playing in RNC, not on a turf field. I'm taking shots at the Chiefs right now on this one. And, like, hell, I'm going to, like, hell, if you're going to try and bring in Eli Riggs as a UDFA who's been playing okay, try play a safe, three safety look. Like, I don't know. I'm experimenting for Sean Desai right here, man. Like, I would have put Kevin Byard and Reed Blankenship as your starting safeties. Maybe put in Sidney Brown in a package where you put uh, having him as a third, a quote unquote third safety, put him in a, in the nickel linebacker option, like what Mac, Malcolm Jenkins did with the Eagles back in the day when he helped also helped win that Super Bowl. So I don't know, man. Like it's it's gonna be a long, tough day for the Eagle for that Eagle secondary, but there is a way on it. I know the way. That is for the Eagles' defensive line to bring the house on Patrick Mahomes. Bring that house. Bring that pressure. If you want an example, see game one on what the Lions did against, against Patrick Mahomes. They brought constant pressure. They did not give up. They were able to shut down that run game. Because according to, uh, according to um, the friends from Arrowhead Pride, Chiefs' offensive line they are reported to be super shaky at the moment. They rank 28th in rushing EPA, 30th in rushing success rate. Isaiah Pacheco is a strong back and and a, and and with a great line, with a great O line. But I would say, but I mean, so far the Chiefs' offensive line has given up only 12 sacks so far this season. But in the last two games, they have surrendered four total sacks and 19 pressures in the last two games. So what does it take? I would give the Eagles defense defensive line a little bit of an edge on this one because, um, I mean, no offense to Donovan Smith, Joe Tunney, Creed Humphrey, Trey Smith, and Jawan Taylor, who fall starts every single time on right tackle. I trust this Eagles edge. I trust the Eagles de defensive line to get to attack. I mean, attack the left and right tackles. Get... With get Hassan Reddick and Josh Sweat immediately on Donovan Smith and Jawan Taylor, and I would trust to put J and I would tr and I would also see like to see some Brandon Graham involved in too. And I'm so ha happy that we got Jordan Davis and Jalen Carter stacking together. So guess what, Chiefs Mahomes, you're gonna beat my boy named named um, Jalen Carter. Who I mean, he's he, he he's a baby rhino for a reason because he's been like in the last Cowboys game. There's one scene, one play where he took three, it took three Cowboys offensive linemen to hold him, to hold him from getting to Dak Prescott. That is how talented Jalen Carter is. And you can, and also Jordan Davis for helping shut down that run. Man, I think Georgia might be the chance, but might be the miracle. I would also like to see the Eagles go five, five defensive linemen and play two, two linebackers. I mean, of course, one. Of course, I put in Cunningham to bring in as a bit of a QB spy or a blitzer. That maybe have Sidney Brown pull back in coverage. I mean, there's so many ways you can go about it. Like, um, I don't. I want to run this thought experiment by you. If I'm, if you're the defensive coordinator, how would you, like, on a third and long, what type? What would you recommend for the Eagles to go with? Like, you go cover two. Do you go like three safety look? Maybe I mean, put a. I would I would put a spy on Patrick Mahomes just because of his innate ability to find enough space to convert that third and long to a 
an easier fourth down conversion or get the first down. So I would just, I mean, uh, it'd be tough because they have every way, you know, you know, mm, I don't know. It's going to be tough. Yeah. I but, would blitz and then put two men on Travis Kelsey. Yeah. Yeah. I think a bracket off Travis Kelsey, I could see them going with a safety look. Um, I would, I would like to see, uh, I would like to put in a thumper like Sidney Brown. Well, I, well, would a three safety option look have Sidney Brown come in like as a playing the nickel linebacker esque position? Mm-hmm. Hell, put in a blitz. I want to see some schemes from Sean Desai. He's not going to be like Jonathan Gannon, who could do jack shit in the Super Bowl. I'm sorry. I had to say that. There had to be a Jonathan Gannon rant, <laughs> one way or another. But now, yeah. Eagles offense versus the Chiefs defense. Um, Eagles are apparently fifth, are the fifth ranked offense in ESPN according to total yards. Chiefs defense in yards allowed in total defense. That's, I mean, with the way that the Chiefs offense has not been productive, this defense, bro, it's like literally Freaky Friday, man, with, with that Chiefs defense. Mm -hmm. Steve and the man. Steve Spagnolo is just too damn amazing. Like, according to Sumer Sports, like uh, I'm. This is from an SB Nation article. They talked about them called the Freaky Friday man. The defense is only allowing 176 yards of passing per game and 112 rushing yards per game. This defense has held a number one offense in Miami to just 14 points and scored the other way. They've limited opponents to less than 20 points, except for Denver. So far, if you look at all their records, less than almost 20 points, more, a little bit more, a little bit less. But that's just insane. I mean, like, if you look, like, in 2023, this secondary, that this young secondary that the Chiefs had, I mean, they've just, they're right now, the Chiefs defense, according to Sumer Sports, they're fifth in the NFL in EPA per play and third in EPA allowed per pass. And they're coming off from that performance in Germany. And Chris Jones is still a game wrecker. And they're like, it's, I mean, this defense has worked, has been like the main point of success. They, have like what's interesting is like they've only like the Chiefs have only gone in like man coverage in 79 of their dropbacks, which is the 16 most in the NFL. However, when they play zone coverage, like um, like cover two, three, or four, Chiefs total EPA drops to 18th in the NFL. And um, oh yeah, that's like for the Chiefs offense, and of course, Travis Kelsey would attack. So I think you have to go with a little bit of um I think they I think like at the Eagles, you gotta go a little bit of cover two, cover three, cover four, but that's what you have to do. But I think like with this Chiefs with this Chiefs defense, like Steve Spagnolo will mix up zone, he'll mix up a little bit of man coverage. And I would not expect I would not underestimate the group of like Trent McDuffie. Um I mean Lajarius Sneed, Justin Reed, Brian Cook. They, and their linebackers, Leo Chanel, Drew Tranquil, and Willie Gay. I mean, they're just too damn good with their defense. But I'm happy that we're getting a healthier version of Jalen Hurts, my man. And I trust 
Jalen Hurts to lead this offense and play a mistake-free football. I know the, um, Cam Jurgens, um, the Eagles' right guard, will be returning back, and I think they need and and for the Eagles to win this game on the offensive side, they need to protect the ball. They cannot turn it over. Like how they were able to not commit any turnovers against the Cowboys, like in a negative way. That's what they. That's what the Eagles need to do against the Chiefs. And again. You gotta run the ball. I want to see more of DeAndre Swift and Rashad Penny. And this is a Chiefs defense that's like limited the rush, but at the very last seconds, like I want to see. I I think this is a game that you have to use Rashad Penny a lot more. He can be that heavy back and then allow DeAndre Swift to like take over with speed and play that clock control game that the Eagles have done in the past. And don't forget, this is the same Eagles three that dropped 35 points on the Chiefs in the Super Bowl loss. And if you're running the ball and you're finding success, you can open up that play action and take those deep shots. And to be honest, I'm, I have a big take. Trent McDuffie and Jerry Sneed cannot hold a candle to A.J. Brown. They cannot... Really? Yeah. A I don't think so, man. I think... No, Batman is better than those two. Nah, that's the that's a John and me taking over, man. Trent McDuffie is scrappy. I'll give him that, but AJ Brown will dwarf him for sure. It's that SEC body against a Pac-12 pump, and Devon and I would trust the team Batman, AJ Brown and Devontae Smith over that Chiefs secondary. But unfortunately, Dallas Goddard will not play the is on IR because of that um, MMA move that. Marquise Bell did uh, for the uh, against against my boy. Um, the Eagles got to rely on their other wide receivers: Quez Watkins, Julio Jones, Alameda Zacchaeus, and the other tight ends like Jack Stoll, Grant Calcaterra, and Albert O. And I would like to see in this case, I'd like to see the Eagles go a little bit more 12, 12 or eleven or twelve personnel. Um, try and bring out that run game. And Albert O. Albert O. was um, definitely when he was a promising product in Denver in 2020, 2021, I believe the last couple of games, he almost had like 300 receiving yards and a couple of touchdowns. And um, I, this has to be a game in which Brian Johnson has to adapt against these against like one of the best defensive coordinators. And um, I think the Eagles can get some points on this game. And of course, like special teams got to be smart, got to tackle and they've been doing a pretty good job at it, but, yeah, um, unfortunately, because it's the Chiefs and it's at Arrowhead, I see the Chiefs winning this game. Um, it'll be a slugfest, 34-31. Okay. I think the Eagles pull off the upset here. Let's go! <laughs> yeah, I think the uh, the Eagles, uh, the, the, the Chiefs' offensive problems are going to get to them. And I think that's why the Eagles win. And they will not slip. They will get to Patrick Mahomes. And you know what? I'm going to switch my pick. Eagles uh, change my pick from this loss. Eagles win this game 35-27. Wow. Okay, we, get so a, we get some crucial sacks on natural grass, not artificial turf. Mm -hmm. Not the turf that was used in the Super Bowl. And because yep. our defense makes adjustments. Yep, yep, and yep, yep. and guess who's gonna get that sack? 
Jalen Carter, baby rhino coming for that boy, Mahomes. I love you, Mahomes, because you went to my school, but your ass is going to get sacked. <laughs> yeah, so this is going to be an interesting one of the one of the only Monday Night Football matchups that are interesting to watch. But yeah, let's move on to our Masala Games of the Week preview. For me, it's going to be a, a short one. It's going to be the Bucks versus Niners. Uh, the question that I have for them, will they continue their run fest or will the Bucks run defense stifle them? As you mentioned, you know, Christian McCaffrey nearly had that record of 18 straight games with the touchdown, but he was stopped with just tying the record of 17 straight games. So now his his streak has to start up back again with this one. Uh, but in this game, I think I think it's going to be one in the trenches with the Niners having the fifth best adjusted line yards allowed in turn uh, adjusted line yards generated uh, against the 10th ranked Bucks D line in terms of adjusted line yards. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see, especially with Trent Williams coming back into the fold, how healthy uh, this Niners offensive line is. We saw how healthy they were against the Jags. Right, they were able to muster a significant running uh, game against the Jaguars' D-line, which is nothing to scoff at. They're actually one of the best in the league. So, you know, if if the Niners are able to, um, you know, win in the trenches themselves, generate enough uh, push for CMC to get through there, then I don't really see how the Bucks defense is going to stop them. Because if you look at rushing EPA also, uh, they are pretty strong as well. Um, you know, they're one of the top teams in terms of rushing EPA generated. But we'll see. Um, let's see. So that is one interesting matchup to look at. Another one is how Brock Purdy is going to face against this Bucks pass defense, which actually blitz blitzes eighth most in the entire league. They blitz about 40% of the time. So um, now Brock Purdy does have uh, Depot Samuel back, all of, his, all of his weapons back, and that's why he was really, really good against the Jaguars. Um, but let's see... You know how the Bucks can try and stifle this um, this Niners offense, uh, especially if you look at who Tampa Bay has in their secondary. You they still have Jamel Dean, Carlton Davis is questionable, so that's going to be a huge deal if they don't have him available for this game. I really don't see them stopping Debo Samuel at that point. But, you know, they run a base 3-4, you know, Kalajic, Hansi, Vita Vea, uh, and Logan Hall um, up, up the middle in the in the interior. And you have Joy Tryon, Shoinka, uh, Jack Barnett. So they were able to, you know, generate a decent amount of pressure. If we were to take a look at their um, adjusted sack rate in terms of, you know, how, how much they're able to generate in terms of pressure. Um, they are ranked, let's see, they're ranked decently high. 
19th in the league at 7.5%. That's above San Francisco. San Francisco is ranked 25th in the league in terms of adjusted sack rate. So they're generating pressure. It's just, I guess it's not just that consistent. Um, but it's going to be, um, you know, uh, it's going to be interesting just how many sacks Brock Purdy takes uh, and, and how many turnovers uh, the Bucks pass defense is able to generate with a... Uh, you know, a standard uh, base 3-4 defense. Now, for the Bucks to win easily is feed Mike Evans. Uh, the Niners are 16th in DVOA versus the number one wide receiver. So it's right in the middle of the pack, which means Mike Evans might be able to generate a good game. Um, and for me, I'm taking another upset. The Bucks win as they stifle CMC and throw Purdy off his game by pressuring him consistently. They win 21-20. Damn, that's a good I that's a good prediction on this one. That'll be fun. I think that'll be a fun matchup. But I am gonna try my luck again. But I know I think I should refrain from making any Masala moment games, man, because of the curse. Ah, but then again, who shall I inflict my um my curse upon? I got it. Bengals versus Ravens. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> I think this is an AFC North battle. The Thursday nights could be saved. It's it, and Then again, it's a battle of one team that suffered a 14-point lead collapse and the other team that just got sucker punched in the mouth by surprise. And both losing via field goal drives. I just love the narrative by it, man. It's it's like literally a Bollywood film itself. But we got let's look at Bengals offensive line versus the Ravens defense. I'm gonna go short on this one because it's a Thursday night game. The Ravens secondary, um, they could be without um Marlon Humphrey, who suffered a calf strain, and the Bengals wide receiver core could be getting T. Higgins, who they missed terribly against Houston. Without that option. Of course, they're going to try and bracket off Jamar Chase and Tyler Boyd. And Tyler Boyd, catch the damn ball. Like, especially if it's a game-winning game winning chance, you got to make that catch. And, um, and of course, the this is a Ravens defense that is pretty tough. They've given up only 100 rushing yards per game. But if I'm the Bengals, you have to run the ball if you want to get some of your offense going. You cannot be just going pass, pass, pass. Pass happy and then go third and out, third and three and out, three and out. You are tiring your defense. Joe, I mean, Joe Burrow is a great quarterback, but Bengals do not win this game if they don't run the ball efficiently. And Joe Mixon is very underrated. And I'd like to see Chase Brown go out, get some, get some yardage too. So please use Joe Mixon more. And this helps Joe Burrow with the play action. And and I think this is going to be a very fun and why I chose this game because of that Bengals receiving core against the Ravens secondary, man. It is a fun matchup. And with this, I would like to play a game with you, Anand. Are you ready for the game? Mm-hmm. It's called Which Matchup Favors? I'm going to I'm going to call on a Ravens secondary player and match up with a Bengals wide receiver core. You tell me who gets favored. That's all. You don't need to give me a why, but just favor. Mm -hmm. All right. 
for the for the Ravens secondary. Brandon Stevens. He against Jamar Chase. He's the number one corner. Oh no no no, Marlon Humphrey. But he could be injured. He, but he could be um out. Ah okay okay. Yeah, then his backup would be um Rocky yeah. Austin. I will take Jamar. Jamar. Okay. Next, the next contestant we have is the return of Tyler Boyd. Um, either Brandon, uh, most likely Brandon Stevens. Yeah. I'll, so, I'll take Brandon Stevens at that point. Okay. Um, T. Higgins, who is questionable as a wide receiver three. Uh, I think they go Ronald Darby or Rokiasin. Yeah, probably Ronald Darby at that point. Yeah. And then um, also the safety room in Kyle Hamilton and Marcus Williams against the trio of Jamar Chase, T. Higgins, and Tyler Boyd if they're all healthy and ready to go. Yeah, I'll take the receiving trio at this point. Yeah, I mean, like the 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 only way that the Baltic the Ravens are so good with this is because of that second of of that line of that defensive line. They they apparently go in a three four formation, which has been very interesting. Like their linebackers and Roquan Smith, Patrick Queen, Ed Rushers, and Jadavion Clowney, and um and and apparently Calvin Noy, man, he's had a resurgence this year. I haven't heard Kyle Van Noy in a long time. Mm -hmm. And Roquan Smith, one of the best run stopper, run stopping linebackers. He's underrated. So that that would be fun. Uh, but I think like again for the Bengals, you gotta run the ball. Bengals defense against the Ravens offensive line. I mean, it, the Ravens have to get back to the formula. And what's that formula, Anand? Like that movie. Run the football. Run Ravens run, baby. They didn't do that. They slipped up on it last game. They need to get back to it. And do the Natu Natu. I want to see that. <laughs> I am praying for Natu Natu RRR. Then, uh -huh. <laughs> of course, that's why they're the number one rush offense for a reason. And, there's a, and there is some um, injury concerns. Ronnie Staley, their left tackle, might be in might um is is questionable and so is their left guard john simpson mm -hmm. but this is a bengal's defensive line that is my that's uh, that's probably going to be with that trey hendrickson and sam hubbard i don't know if cam sample miles murphy and joseph asai can help with that pressure but honestly the ravens run game is going to dominate this bengal's defense and but and I think like with their passing options of like with OBJ, um, Rashad Bateman, Zay Flowers, I think like Nick Scott, Dax Hill, Cam Taylor Britt, and Chido and Chidobe Awuzie or in DJ Turner, they've been okay at best. But against this Ravens unique style of offense under Todd Mumkin, I think it's gonna be a long day for the Bengals defensive line. But I have a feeling that somehow, some way, the Ravens are going to give up a big game unless they decide not to. 
and I'm and I'm actually debating if I should take Keaton Mitchell, who's been it's surprising, man. Oh, I would, I would. I, you know what? Two games, I, he he's been really good. I and here's my and here's the thing, man. Should I take it? Like, who do I drop? Antonio Gibson for Keaton Mitchell, and yeah. I have Devon Ashane coming back from IR, probably. I would take Keaton Mitchell over. Um... What's his face? Antonio Gibson. Okay. You heard it, folks. And I think, but like with this Ravens offense, if they keep on running the ball against the Cincinnati defense, um, it's probably going to be a game over. And that's how I believe the Texans are able to win some of those games. And um, it's a tough one for me. Should I give a score or not? Because if I give a score, one of them is going to get cursed and turn it to be a blowout. I'm very tempted to give a score. Should I give one or not? Uh, give a score. See what happens. Okay. Um, sorry, sorry, Ravens and Bengals fans, but the verdict is true. I think the Bengals win this game, twenty-eight twenty-four. Ooh, I'm actually gonna pick the Ravens to win this one. I would. I would not be surprised. Fourteen. Twenty-one fourteen. Yeah. Uh, oh, oh, and with that, they sweep the Bengals in that case. Yes, yes. You're going for the broomstick. And right now, if the if the, if the season ended, right as of now, the Bengals are out of the playoff race. Yeah. I mean, this is must just shows because uh, they, they've been, like, yes, the Ravens have been inconsistent, but the Bengals have been more so with, yeah. with larger stretches. And that loss to Houston, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyways, so that's going to conclude the episode for us today after, you know, the entire recap of week 10 and preview of week 11. And if you guys have enjoyed, please leave us a review at one of the four podcast platforms that we host this podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google, and Pocket Cast, or send us an email at nflmasala at gmail.com, spelled as nflmasala at gmail.com. Or Rakshak. They can find us on Instagram, which is at uh, this is all lowercase at NFL M A S A L A 2022. That is at NFL M A S A L A 2022. All lowercase. Or you can also follow us on Twitter or X at the same handle NFL Masala 2022. And now we're going to hit you with our signature outro. Go Pack Go. And fly, Eagles fly. Take care and have a wonderful week.